Our passage this morning is found in the letter of Colossians. We're looking at chapter 1. We'll look at verses 9 to 14 in a few moments. As a reminder, uh, we are looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians. We've been singing the Blues Clues song together. We just got a letter. Uh, We want to be excited. We're the child who's excited about this letter. We're not the adult who thinks it's like a bill. Okay. So we love this letter. We want to read it. And last week we discussed uh, how Paul is thanking the Colossians. Uh, he's, he's thankful for them, I should say, for how they came to Christ, how they understood the gospel, how they're growing. But he also was praying for them that we'd continue in that knowledge, continue in that growth, also based on the gospel. This week we're going to hone in on this second portion, verses 9 to 14. This is the part where Paul specifically prays for their growth. And what, what he's praying for is their increase in knowledge. I titled this sermon, Knowing God. Some of you might have recognized that uh, from, uh, I stole it from J.I. Packer. Maybe one of the top, I, I would recommend this book to you. If you've not read Knowing God by Packer, I think that would be a perfect summer reading project. I'm challenging at least one of my children to do that, uh, and I'm going to work through it with him as well. So it's a great, it's a great book. Um, and what we're going to find, hopefully this morning, in just our few moments together, is we have a lot we can learn about God. We can, or maybe I should say it this way, we can know God a lot more intimately than we do. So, that's what we'll look at this morning. Please join by looking and following along in your Bibles with me, starting at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Great and glorious Father, we praise you that we are included in the recipients of this letter down through the ages, that your Holy Spirit promises to be present with us even now to illumine these ideas, these real topics of of importance to our hearts this morning, maybe for the first time for some. I pray our eyes would be opened. I pray we would see the treasures hidden in your word. Amen. There's a book called, uh, well, let me bet before I say that, we're talking about knowledge and knowing, and it's an interesting topic to just think about what do you know? How do you know what you know? How do you prove what you know? Um, So the book I've referenced before, Blink, by Malcolm Gladwell. It's an easy read. Don't, that's not your summer reading project, but it's, it's an easy read. And he opens the book. He's talking about how knowledge, um, he calls it thin slicing, but how sometimes the, the ways you go about learning and what you really need in life aren't the same. Here's the example he gives. Back in 1983, the Getty Museum in L.A. purchased a, a Greek statue. It's a kuros. It's a type of statue. There's a whole bunch of them over, throughout a period of history. And it's a style, right? They're very, very old. 
And this is one of the best preserved ones like known to man. They, they bought it. It was $10 million. It's in their, uh, their um, museum. They're excited. They've done all the tests to make sure it's not a fake because that's a big deal. What a great industry to sell $10 million statues that are fake. So they hedged their bets and had it tested. And as an afterthought, they had some experts show up just to look at it, maybe praise it. Um, experts in Greek sculpture. And so um, they brought in one of the experts, Evelyn Harrison, and she comes in and they said, now we haven't paid yet, we're going to pay next week, we wanted you to see it. And they pull off the uh, tarp of this beautiful Greek statue, and she said, and I'm so sorry to hear that you bought this. I'm so sorry to hear it. And they, they just were stunned. And she couldn't explain why, but somehow it just, she she knew it was wrong. Something was wrong about the statue. So they brought in the other experts, and they all agreed. This is a fake. The statue is not real. And so what they had to do was figure out a different set of tests to discover that, in fact, they had been fooled. That whoever forgers, forges these types of statues knew the tests, and they, they went around those tests and made it look authentic. But it was the experts and their knowledge and their years of studying the real thing that allowed them to walk in and within a snap second say, that's not the truth. That's not real. And so knowledge is important, but not just knowledge that you learn uh, only from a theology book or off the internet, but actual lived, experienced reality knowledge is critical, not only for all of life, right, but for knowing God. So I'm going to kind of borrow a line from Lewis and say this. When we pursue the knowledge of God first we'll get the knowledge of everything else thrown in. So is that your chief pursuit, the knowledge of God? If you're like most of us, we, we remember God, we think of God, we pray to God, but we think of knowledge as sort of separate from him. And our hope this morning is that we'll tweak that, we'll turn that and go, no, the, the way that the, the number one pursuit of my entire life should be the knowledge of God, intimacy with God. So we're going to look at three things. What is knowledge? What would the knowledge of God be? And then finally, what is that process? Those are our three thoughts this morning. So just talking about knowledge, we, um, we have this interesting dichotomy. We live in an information age, right? Like everything is at your fingertip, right? How many of you have said even today, hey, Siri, like the second there's a thought, I'll just ask Siri, right? My, my girls think Alexa is a real person. She's not. It's like, I'm like, no, it's an algorithm. And, um, so we have on one hand this information um, overload. We want facts. We want data. We want it at our fingertips. But there's also a distrust in knowledge, especially like theology. Our culture is moving away from loving theology and loving knowledge of God. There's a, a bit of distrust, you know. You, we try to get too much from our head. So let's go to the heart and we bypass the mind. That's the thinking of our culture often. But if you look at our passage, listen to what Paul says. He says, verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, and here's what he's asking, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is saying, we want you to be filled with the knowledge of God, with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and understanding that comes from knowing him. And what he, what he says is that knowledge will shape you, that knowledge will change you. 
He goes on in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in what? Knowledge. There it is again. So he wants you to be filled with knowledge of God. It's going to bear fruit. It's going to increase in your life, and it's going to lead you to have more knowledge. And so what we find is knowledge is something probably a little bit more complex than the English word we're using. In the Hebrew, the word knowledge was a lot more profound. Um, In Genesis 18.9, God says of Abraham, I know him. When Genesis talks about Adam going into Eve, he knew his wife. He knew her. Knowledge is much more than just bare or brute facts. It's more than just uh, having the information at your fingertips. It's more than, hey, Siri. It's intimate, right? Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's, it's smell, it's taste, it's closeness. It's something you can't just know without experiencing it, right? Um, one of my, I, w- I have a lot of top 10 movies, it's easier to do top tens because then you don't have to pick the one. I have a lot. That's one of my top ten actors. Grayson's like, no. That's like your hundredth. Well, anyway, Goodwill Hunting. Anyone? Is that a top ten for anyone? Okay. The scene uh, of Robin Williams and, and Matt Damon, they're uh, at the bench, and Matt Damon's been really difficult. And Sean, Robin Williams is Sean McGuire, his, his psychologist, his counselor. And he's also very smart, but Matt Damon's playing Will Hunting, who's a genius, but has never left Boston. So all of his information is book knowledge. And he's used it because of his past abuse to really beat people up with. And um, now, Sean McGuire is the last kind of last ditch effort to help Will make something of himself. And here's the scene. I can't read every word from the quote, but I'm going to read most of it. Um, Some of you are giggling. I'm just being prudent. I'm using my knowledge. So Robin Williams says, I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. Will had made fun of one of his paintings in his office. I stayed up half the night thinking about it, and then something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep, and I haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. So if I ask you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him, his life's work, political aspirations, but I'll bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at the beautiful ceiling and seen that. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus about your personal favorites, but you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid, and I'd bet you, I bet if I asked you about war, you'd probably throw Shakespeare at me. Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. I'd ask you about love. You'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable, known someone that could level, with, level you with her eyes feeling that God put an angel on earth just for you. That's a great scene because what it exposes is this realization that we often bypass true knowledge in favor of facts. 
We feel comfortable. I love books. I, I went through my life when I wanted to do something, I'd buy a book on it, and I'd read it, and I'd act like I knew something. I've read a ton of books on writing. Don't ask me to read you any of my writing. Or art books. We, we're comfortable with that. We're comfortable with knowledge. I'm afraid we do that with God. I'm afraid that, that when we come into knowing God, many of us uh, find ourselves shielded by theology. Right? We're shielding ourselves or with the modern language like, I just am letting the Spirit lead, or we, we use things to say, I'm afraid of getting close to Him. And yet Paul is saying, that's what I want for you. I want you to know God intimately. So I want to look into this passage and, and see what is it that he wants us to know about God. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Right in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember the the, the sculpture. The, the idea of wisdom is applied knowledge in areas that you can't predict. Right. So if you study the word and you know God intimately, you can walk into a situation and without a prescription, you have a fighting chance. You can say, "This is not what God would want for me." You would have wisdom and knowledge. Right. You'd have understanding of Him. I want, to, um, look, I want to read you a quote from uh, Jonathan Edwards. I'm a little bit, I know I do, if I do too many quotes, it, it's annoying, but this is Jonathan Edwards. So I'm going to try to modernize the English a little bit. But my hope for us is that we would hear what he's saying to his congregation and think, oh, that's not bad. We'll, we'll apply this to our congregation. He says, you all have by you a large treasure of divine knowledge. What he's assuming is you all have a Bible in your hand. How many of you have a Bible no, 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 I just have my phone, right? It's perfect. I'm reading my Bible. And I don't know about you, but the Bible app on my phone pops up advertisements. So let me just say, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But can I encourage us to maybe own one of these guys, you know? The graduates just got a Bible. I really hope they would open that and get familiar with the text and with the pages and how to flip around. Okay, there you go. That's not all Edward is saying. He says, you have this Bible in your hands, therefore, don't be content with just possessing a little bit of this treasure. God has spoken much to you in the scripture. Labor to understand as much of what he has said as you can. God has made you all reasonable creatures. You all, you're smart people, everyone, most of you. Therefore, let not the noble faculty of reason or understanding lie neglected. Content not yourselves with having so much knowledge as is thrown your way. In other words, don't be content with, yeah, I know what the Bible says because I go to a sermon once a week, if, if I can make that. Or I catch this podcast. Or, I, you know, my grandma had a, a, a sewing thing in her kitchen that said a verse that I remember. That's how I know Scripture. Okay, he says, don't be content with that. I'm, I, that's very modernized. Doug's like, because he gave me the quote. He's like, that's not at all how Edward said it. He says, but be very much, make it your business, excuse me, make it very much your business to search it with all diligence and labor, the labor which men will dig for silver and for gold, right? Make that your, your view of the scripture, long for it, dig into it. Paul, just a few verses later in chapter two, three says this, talking of Jesus, that, um, that we would reach the full, uh, where is it, sorry, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Is Paul just saying poetic language? Or is it true? 
Is the scripture treasure? Is Jesus who is found in scripture treasure for you and for me? Um, I was, I, I'm, I'm one of these people who tend to spout off cultural things and I feel shamed a lot because someone's like, I don't even follow that in the culture. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, I guess I watch too much TV. I don't know. But I'm on the other side of that. So here's where I'm on the other side of that today. I could care less about the wedding. Raise your hand if you care. Who watched the wedding? I knew Amy Tidlin would have watched the wedding. I knew it. It doesn't matter what time of day it was at. She probably has a DVR or whatever the newest technology is. But, so I'm thinking, you know, who cares? Um, and then I'm like reading this, this stuff. I'm thinking, like, what's Paul, where, where's the motivation? And every, I have two daughters. My, my boys never said this, but every daughter wants to be a princess. Like, like, that's what the Disney movies are all about. When Disney needs money, they say, what should we do? A princess movie. And it sells. And everyone shows up because we want to be princesses. And so from now on, assuming they stay married, Megan, is it Megan Merkel? Is a princess. Am I right? She's a princess of some kind? What is she? Am I just ruining this whole thing? She's royalty. Listen, she's more important now than she was like yesterday, right? Okay, that's the illustration. Let's pretend that she's a princess. Okay? Let's also pretend that she wasn't very rich and famous like the day before, which she was, but it's okay. She now, for the rest of her life, has a new identity. She's been transferred from one kingdom to a different kingdom. And no matter how she feels, no matter how bad her morning breath is, or how ratty her hair looks, when she looks in that mirror, she is something, a duchess. That's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty good. I don't know any duchesses, do you? Fergie, wasn't she one of those? Anyway, you get the illustration. Paul has told us that we have been transferred from one kingdom to another, and now we live out of that reality. And what we do, and if I were made a new prince or a princess or whatever is appropriate for your gender and your views, you, you would study what it means to be that, right? If I became the president, I would want to go like, I need to probably know all the presidents and some of their habits and their, their methods of ruling, you know? Like, that would make sense, right? You, as a Christian, have been transferred into a new kingdom. The, the, the carpet has been rolled out, and God is saying, this is yours, do you long to know God? Do you long to search the treasure of Jesus? I think a perfect verse uh, that summarizes what this passage says, and it's a verse that most of you know, is, well, it's two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul has presented the gospel, uh, and now in chapter 12 he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. I'm, I'm jumping ahead to verse 2. Do not conf be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, I, um, 
I read a little bit ahead of that. So you, Paul's saying, my mind is to be renewed based on the mercy of God. What does that look like? I wanted to read through more of chapter 12, and m- many of you know what comes next, but I'm jumping a few verses ahead in chap- chapter 12, 9, where he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Most of us read those words and go, that sounds great, right? I've got to get through the end of this chapter because that's my goal. I'm reading a chapter a day, you know, that kind of a thinking. What I would like to encourage us to do is to meditate on Scripture, to read verses like this and say, let love be genuine. What does that mean? How do you, how do you handle those words? Um, you can't come to that verse, to that concept, if it's, and not be, I would say, confronted, right? I mean, there's not one person in this room that's like, check, right? Abhor what is evil, check. Outdo each other, check. No, wait, don't do that. And showing honor, oh, you know, pull the, pull the pencil back. In other words, there are, be not slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. I read that. And either I lie to myself and say, I've got that down, or I sort of think someday the Spirit might do that when I don't even know it's happening. But Paul is saying, do these things based on mercy, based on Jesus. So I meditate. I begin to chew on that. And this is where I'm leading into our final sort of part of the process of how we do this. And that is we begin to chew on the realities of Scripture. So what is true of you? Um, Doug and I used to read it. We need to get back to doing this poem thing. Doug's a poet. He loves poetry, and I need to learn poetry. So we would sit, and I'd like, hey, give me your best poem. And one of them, and I don't, I'm going to butcher this one, but we talked about it. Um, it was the woman who, uh, she, I think she was dying in her poem, and she said what she's going to miss most are her pretty little hates. Remember that one? Oh, yeah, you do. She says um, what she's going to miss most about dying is, the loss of her pretty little hates. And I just envision this person who has this treasure box of all the people she loves to hate. And you go, that just sounds evil. Every one of you has that, has that box. Every one of us has people or parts about certain people that we just almost find energy in holding on to that hatred. And so you come to this passage and it says, let love be genuine and you've got that box. Where is it? Where is it? You gotta bring it out. You gotta repent. You gotta say, Lord, I can't come to this law, this beautiful commandment, genuine love, with the fact that I struggle to love this person. Jesus says, Love your enemy. He's not saying, when he says that in the Sermon on the Mount, keep them as your enemy, but smile. Right? Maybe quit sending them hateful email messages. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, actually, the gospel is so profound, the treasures of Jesus are so large that if I were to receive them and know that I am saved and forgiven and washed in the blood of Christ, maybe I won't hate that person. That enemy will no longer be in that category. That's the gospel at work. That takes meditation. That takes reading. That takes bringing yourself, like knowledge, into the presence of God and having a real physical, real, intimate relationship with Him. And it doesn't happen driving down the road listening to music. But that's okay. 
do that. I'm not trying to, I'm just saying we have to stop and plan and spend some time in his word and wrestle through these things. Um, Psalm 1, I think, came to my mind as I really began to study this, of this passage because in Psalm 1, if you want to know where that is, that's the very first psalm in, in the book of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The Hebrew language is very verb-oriented, right? He's describing beautifully what it is not, what is not wisdom. He says, but the man is blessed who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is not memorization, though it's a good way to meditate. But it's actually saying, here's a law, here's me, and there's this huge chasm. I need to meditate and chew and bring it in. Just like you do food, right? Meditation in the Hebrew language has kind of this, you're, you're sort of repeating and, and reverberating information to yourself to kind of get it in you. Imagine chewing on something until you can metabolize it. That's what we're being called to do. That's what Paul is saying. And remember, it's all assuming you're already in Christ. So Paul's already said, thankfully, you're in Christ. Now you can read the word and receive it. Is that your hope? Is that, is that, your, um, is that what you do? Uh, so I want to just kind of close by giving a practical process to this, kind of an encouragement. Um, there's a parable in Mark that I really like. And I would like to just say, I think the hindrance to the scripture for many of us, you heard the Edwards quote, is that we don't apply the intellect to scripture. We don't apply the energy. We don't apply all of our being that we would apply to things we really care about, right? We are people who can become experts overnight. I, I, uh, I have friends, and I would put myself in this category as one, who when I get interested in a hobby, like in about two hours, I will be the expert. That's my goal. And if not, I'll find that expert. You know what I mean? Brian, you know what I'm talking about? You know anyone like that? We'll talk later. Um, that's a good thing. It's good to become an expert. Let's do that with Scripture. Let's apply the intellect. But what's the fear? The fear is I'm going to open the Bible. I'm going to read something. I'm not going to understand it. And then what's going to make me, I'm going to feel like this. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not in the camp, right? So here's my encouragement to you. And it's from a parable uh, where Jesus, in chapter 4 of Mark, he starts to teach on parables. And he does the parable of the sower, right? You know the parable where the sower sows seed and then four different types of soil, they respond differently. Three are negative, one's positive. That's a quick overview of the parable. Okay. Also, what you need to know is he was out on the water teaching because there were so many people listening to this parable. Then, if it says in verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Is that encouraging? What do you think? Every one of you has a small thought, maybe a larger thought. Oh, no, there it is. That's what I'm afraid of. 
He put his finger on it. I'm afraid I'm going to open the Bible and read something and be like, it makes no sense. And then I'm going to feel like I'm an outsider. Well, here's what's beautiful. I love this parable because after that, first of all, it gets a little bit harsher. He quotes this. So they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Okay, did it just get worse? Like all of a sudden you're like, ah, I don't want to be that person. You're not that person. I mean, here's what's so fascinating about this parable. Verse 13, it goes like this. And he said to them, do you not understand the parable? Now, what would you do if you were there? Oh, I, I, no, I, I mean, I think he's got a little problem. You might tell him. He says, how then will you understand all the parables? And then what does Jesus begin to do? The sower sows, and he begins to explain the parable. So what's going on? There was this crowd of people. Then he kind of gets the boat to shore, gets out of the boat, walks up, and it says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him. You had the 12 who hung around and a few others. The people who what? Understood the parable? No. The people who knew that was Jesus. The people who said, I don't know what he knows, but there's something there. There's some treasure in him. There's something I want to learn, so I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going anywhere. It reminds me of John 6 when everyone leaves Jesus and he turns to his disciples, are you going to leave? And they said, where else will we go? You have the answer. You have the words. Um, Someone quote that for me. Of eternal life. I just was challenging you to see if you've been in your word. Thanks, Sylvia. So here's the, here's the hope. Here's the comfort. Here's the good news. The people who don't understand the Bible are not the ones who read it and don't understand it. It's the ones who just say, forget it, and they put it on the shelf. They've walked away from Jesus. They've got it signed. There are how many seniors that we just have come up here with a beautiful name on the front? Please, don't let that be your story. Oh, there's that Bible I have. If I need it, I think it's somewhere. I haven't unpacked it yet. Don't do that. Take your Bible and read it and chew on it and meditate on it. And when you hear Satan saying to you, you're not worthy, fight that. I am worthy. I am in Christ. I have been transferred from the kingdom, the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Read the gospel and read yourself into that story. You are the princess or the duchess or whatever. See yourself as the son of the living God or the daughter of the living God and read this as his message to you. And when you don't understand it, read it again. If you don't understand it the second time, pray. Holy Spirit, would you please show me how to understand this scripture and read it again. And read it a third and fourth. That's three. So read it a fourth and a fifth time. Dig into the word because it is living, it is active, and it will change you. And you will be filled with wisdom and knowledge. And when this world tries to fool you with fake statues, you'll see them immediately because you have the knowledge of God in you. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for giving us your word. Your Holy Spirit is given to us to illuminate the word. But Lord, there is a process. And that process requires that we trust in you, that we hope in you, that we rest in you. Lord, it's not like Siri. We know that. We know it's not easy. 
But that's what makes it beautiful. Nothing worthwhile in this life is easy. So I pray this morning that there would be somebody here who may look back and say it was this discussion that caused them to start reading their Bible, to start loving you more, to start, start knowing you in your fullness in a more profound way for them. But Lord, we need your mercies, and we rest in you alone for this to happen. Amen.